Would you welcome my friend, Pastor Shadaka Johnson. Good morning. Um, I want to teach you one Creole word, just one. And uh, it's, it's a simple one. It's to say kushe. Kushe. All right? Kushe. Or how the body. How the body. The body fine. <laughs> All right? In Sierra Leone, in Creole, when you want to greet people, one of the simple we would do is that you ask them, how the body? Then they will respond, the body fine. How the body? How the body? So you ask me now, the body fine. <laughs> That's a clear word. I want to use this opportunity to share my personal testimony, my personal journey with the Lord. And, you know, I come from a family. My dad is a Creole by tribe. That's why I'm called Johnson. And my mom is a Shabro. Comes from the islands, from Bond. My mom comes from a Muslim background. And my dad, being a Creole, was a Methodist. So we grew up as Methodists. We used to go to the Methodist church. My dad was very strict on the Sabbath day, on Sundays. In our home where we grew up, nothing moves on Sunday. Nothing moves. The only thing you do is that you go to church in the morning, you come back, you eat, and you lie down and sleep. In fact, all the animals in our house knew the Sabbath day. Because the dogs were not back, everything was in its place. Because my dad was very strict on the Sabbath. And all throughout my life, when we were going to church, we were always the first people to be in the church. Always. I never, never, ever went to church late. Because my dad would go to church early and would always occupy the front pew. Because we were, we were in the church so early that the front pew was always our pew. And my dad, when we sit there, my dad would tell us, look at the pastor. You are here to look at the pastor, nothing else. So we we'll sit like that. If you want to push your head like that, he said, no, look at the pastor. <laughs> so that is the kind of background I grew with. And then when, after church, when I was very young at the age of five, six, if it's communion Sunday, the other Monday, when I come back home, I will ask my mom, because my mom was a Muslim, she was not going to church at, the, at that time, and it was very common in those days. Of course, my dad was a Creole, so it was difficult for a Creole to really get married to, you know, a protectorate, as we used to call them, and not to talk about a Muslim. But my dad was just in love with my mom, and they said, well, we'll give our daughter to you on one condition, that you don't ever convert our daughter. She should remain a Muslim. My dad said, fine. That's okay with me. And so that was our home. Our mom was a Muslim and our, our dad a Methodist. So we went to church. We grew up as kids going to church. My mom would stay home. And when I come back from the church and eat, they gave communion that Sunday. I would tell my mom to give me bread. And so I would take the bread. I would cut the bread into pieces. And I would call all the kids in the community. And I would begin to put the bread in their mouth. I would just say something that I would don't hear normally what the pastor say. I would just say, 
put the bread, and they'll eat. So my mom was thinking, what is this man doing? And so one day he asked my dad, I see your son giving bread to kids. You know, my dad started to think, and my dad said, oh, maybe it is communion. He's giving them communion. So I started giving communion when I was five. <laughs> so that was my background, and then I, I grew up, in, in, we came down to Bo, grew up in a city called Bo, and um, the, the, the name of the city itself, what really, by history, it now is called Bo, B-O. One of the shortest spelling of any city, B-O, Bo. But originally, it was not, that was not the original name. It was called Bowie Town, Bowie. Bowie means white clay, white clay. Now, from history, what used to happen was that the people, the town we live in, in Bow, was founded by people from the east, the warriors that came from the east, Connor, and other places. So Bow was the buffer zone where they could meet other warriors and fight because they did not want the warriors to go and to their own territory. So that's how they discovered Bow. And they started building huts. There will be run huts. And they will go and dig the clay. In Sierra Leone, when you dig the clay, you find white clay. And they will paint their house with this white clay. It resembles like a whitewash house. So when the colonial masters started visiting, they would see this white clay. And they did not know. At that time, nobody knew about paint. And they would ask, what is this? And the people would say, it's buoy. Buoy means white clay. But they were not able to pronounce it. So they kept on saying, boo. So eventually the town became Bo. Originally it was Bui Town, white clay, but it became Bo, which simply really means yours. So that's how, that's the city we lived in. I went to um, Bo School, one of the schools that was founded. It was really founded for the sons of chiefs, you know, the Praman chiefs. But most of them did not go to the, they did not send their kids to the school, they sent their slaves to the school. Because they were thinking that originally that the, the white people would take their children, you know, to Europe somewhere. So they sent their slaves. This school was started in 1906. And it was a school that was started for boys, just for boys. So I went to that school. It was all boardroom school. All the boys were in boardroom. By the time we were there, it was about like 300 boys all in boardroom. And um, in this school, I became part of the scripture union. A scripture union was a group of people that could sit and talk about the Bible. So I was part of the scripture union. And then eventually, I remember one day I asked my principal, Festo Seo, that I want to talk to my friends in the assembly. And so he said, okay, sure, thank you. So I went up the assembly and I started talking to them about God. And, you know, it was a boys' school and people would always tease you. And so they said, call me pastor, pastor. So eventually, that's how in fact I started getting my pastor. I did not like it. Because I was just telling them about the kingdom of God. But that was how my passion for the kingdom started to grow. And I did my sixth form, what maybe you call associate degree here. I did it in another school called CKC. And there I was preaching in the assembly. I would always ask for time in the assembly and I would preach the gospel. And when I finished my sixth form, I was privileged. Economics is really my background. But I started getting this pool to serve God. My dad, as a Creole, did not want me to become a pastor. Never. He told me that, you know, I want you to become a lawyer. Because for the Creoles, it was like becoming a lawyer, an economist. This was an accountant. It was like the prestigious things that you should do. And in the church I attended, I never saw a young pastor. 
all the pastors were ageable people, retired people. So my dad said, you go and study law, practice your law. When you retire, you will come back and serve as a pastor. But one day, I went to visit a church. It was not a Methodist church. And there was a preacher. I did not know he was an inv- a guest preacher because I did not know anything about guest preachers at that time. And this man preached heavily. He told us about the unrich people's group in Sierra Leone. He told us how people in the north are unrich. The tribes in the north have not been rich with the gospel. And at that time, based on his statistics, it was 99.9%. And then he encouraged the church that we need to send people to the north to take the gospel to the north. The north of Sierra Leone is a difficult area, a tough terrain at that time. And he said, is there anybody in this building that will want to be trained to go to the north with the gospel? I was seated in front. And I put up my hands. I really did not know what the man was talking about. But I was just moved by what he said. I put up my hands. Well, I was thinking that maybe other people at the back has also put up their hands. So I put up my hands. And the man said, the pastor said, please come in front. That was also a strength thing to me. We've never done it in the church I was coming from. And now I felt very embarrassed. I'm stepping in front. I'm looking back thinking that others are going to follow. And behold, I was the only one that put up my hands. And I said to myself, what have I done to myself? But I came in front and the church prayed for me. And this man became my coach and my mentor. And after some time of coaching and mentorship, he said, it is time for you to go and try it out. I came to my mom. She was still a Muslim. And I said to my mom, I want to go to the north. I want to go there for about four months. I want to just go and serve. And see whether God can use me to touch hearts for Jesus. My mom said, you have to tell your dad. And you know, my dad was a disciplinarian. He was very strict. So I started rehearsing how to tell my dad. Then I went to my mom. I said, mom, please, you go and tell my dad. (laughs) Because I will not be able to tell my dad. My mom went to my dad and told my dad. And my dad said, no way. Number one, he's too young. He cannot become a pastor. And I understand with my dad, there was, I did never, I never saw a young person at that time. These were just older, ageable people. And number two, he said, no, the man needs to go and study law when he's finished. You know, he, he will go and become a pastor after serving, his, after finishing his practices. Number three, he is not going to the north because he has never gone to the north. And the north is a difficult place. He don't speak the language of the people. He cannot make it. My dad said, no. I remember my mom looked at my dad and said, my dad is called Claudius Abiose Johnson. Claudius. So, but everybody in the neighborhood, we call him C-A-J. C-A-J. So, we all called him C-A-J. We never called him that. We call him C-A-J. And my mom said, C-A-J. He said, if this is what God has called this man to do, you cannot stop him. If this is what God has called him to do, you cannot stop him. After some days, my dad said, if that's what we want to do, good. But remember, I give you the freedom, but you don't have my blessing. It took me some time to ask my dad to bless me to go. He blessed me reluctantly. Like any good dad, he wanted the best for my life. And, you know, he was afraid because he knew the not better than I knew. But he blessed me finally and released me. 
You know, I went to the north with two things of sardine. The sardine, you know, in the tin. And then we have what we call gari. It's a kind of local food. And a dozen, half dozen of gari. That was all. And I went to the north. I got to the north. Got somebody to take me in his house. And then I started to pray to God. When I started walking around, I realized that my dad was right. This is a difficult terrain. <laughs> but now I was ashamed. How can I go back? You know, my dad would say, I told you. And I had friends who said, don't even try this. Don't try this. And so I started praying. I started fasting. You know, I tell normally my, when I disciple, God is, has used me to raise a lot of leaders. And I tell them, there is no type of fasting on the planet that I have not done. Days without food, without water. Going up to the mountain, asking God. God, if you called me, if you sent me here, tell me what to do, and God used me. I still remember one day after praying, I was crying. And I just felt the impression that I will use you if you give yourself to me. So I became a teacher in one of the schools, the high school. I was teaching economics. And the principal of the school, Christiana Thorpe, you know, later became a very high commissioner. And she was my principal. And I taught in that school for three years. I told the woman, the principal, I said, I don't need anything. Don't pay me salaries. I just need one thing. I want you to give me opportunity every day to just speak to the kids about God. That's all. That is my salary. The woman said, it's easy. That one is easy. They needed an economics teacher. And so I started teaching economics. So every morning, I would have the opportunity to share the love of God. And it will surprise you because this was a Muslim area in Makeni, Bombali. That's where we started. And it's a Muslim area. And more than 80% of the children in the school were Muslims. The others were Catholics. And God started to touch hearts. God started to touch the hearts of the kids. And then they started to introduce me to their families, to their parents. And then the parents told me, can you come to the house and take extra classes with our children? I said, great. So that was an opportunity to go into the house, into the families. And as I started going to the families, relationships were created. And those relationships created trust. And because they trusted, they started to tell me about challenges they were facing. And then I used it as a platform to tell the story of God and the love of God. Some Muslim families, after sharing my story, they would say, we don't know we are Muslims. But I said, I know one thing. I know the God of the South. Can I pray for you? And they would say, oh, go ahead and pray. And I will pray. And that is why as you walk with God, I have seen God show up in those situations and answer those prayers. And that became a testimony for them. And gradually, people started to give their life to Jesus. Some of them secretly, and would baptize them secretly, and nobody knew about it. And God started to open up. I went to the north with the intention of staying for four months. I stayed there for five years. And for that five years, God, that was the platform that God used. Started planting churches, making disciples. Today, in the movement we have, more than 70% of all my pastors are former Muslims. We say MBB, Muslim Background Believers. MB, you know, we have all these quotations so that people will not know. We call them MBBs, Muslim Background Believers. And some of them played very important role in the mocks. 
But God touched them, touched families, and they came to know Jesus. And what was interesting at this point in my life now, I had, I had fallen in love with a lady. And I was so much in love with this young lady. And, but the young lady said, really, I like you as an individual. But you know what? <laughs> I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be my boyfriend, neither, neither even my husband. He said, because I don't want to get married to a pastor. You have chosen to become a pastor. I said, no, I'm not a pastor. I'm an accidental missionary. <laughs> but as far as she was concerned, he said, you know, once you preach the gospel in that context, you're a pastor. So I kept on knocking the door, knocking the door. She would always tell me no, no, no. But I will pray for her. <laughs> I will pray for her. I will give her tracts. I will come to the house and talk to her. And she will just say no, no. And then finally one day, after what God has done in the north, I started getting the impression in my heart that it's time to go to the south, go back to the south. And I said, Lord, I cannot go back to Bo. I went to school in this town. I grew up in this town. All my friends are there. They will not take me serious. They will never take me serious. I just want to be here. But I just kept on feeling the impression. And finally one day, I packed my bag. Everything that the Lord blessed me in the north, I did not take anything. I just took my bag and went to the south. I got home. And my dad saw me. The same bag I went with is the same bag I brought. And my dad said, are you here for a weekend? I said, no, dad. I said, I'm done with the north. I'm here now. My dad felt so bad. He thought I've been wasting time. But eventually after praying and fasting, for some time, the Lord directed me what to do. And I started with children. I would get the children around and I would share the stories. You know, tell great stories to them about stories in the Bible. The parents loved it. The children would go back and tell the stories in their homes. And the parents loved it. So because of that, I had relationship with the parents again in the home. And they loved me because I loved their kids so much. And finally, a relative of, of mine gave me a small place. A small living, her living room. He said, you can use this to be doing your Bible studies. And that's where we started the Bible study. And one day, my dad walked into that place. And my dad sat down. For the very first time. And my dad listened to the Bible studies. And my dad was touched. And my dad came and hugged me. And he said, I am in with you. He said, I will support you. I will do everything humanly possible. So that you will be successful in what God has called you to do. From that day. My, my dad provided the very first meeting. He gave us the land. Where we have our prayer house today. He gave us the land. He built the structure with his own money. Because I had nothing. He built it with his own money. And that's how we started. And God says, in fact, when people invite me to preach, it was my dad who would take the invitations. He would go and make invitations. My son is a great preacher. Do you want him to come and preach? <laughs> and when I, when I go to preach, know that you've invited two people. You've invited Johnson Jr. and Johnson Sr. 
My dad will always sit at the back if I'm preaching. And then I'm making some point. He will stand up and he will say, tell them my son. Tell them my son. <laughs> so we had two preachers preaching always. But it was a wonderful experience. And I still remember it was my dad who spoke finally to the wife I have today. And that's how she became my wife. And God took us through the journey. And through that journey, God blessed us with four biological children and three children that we adopted. And in that process of the journey, that small thing that we started, God exploded it. It became big. It became another church, another church, another church. But something happened miraculously in my life. A few years ago, a brother, who is also a brother to Harry, when he saw one of my son with this bad face, he was at the age of one. They killed his parents, born down the village, and they used the boot of the gun to bash his face. And when they came and saw the son, they said, you know, Shudanke, we want to help you to bring this boy to the state so that they will do a plastic surgery. And that was how I came to America. They brought our entire family. While the plastic surgery was going on, one day I went to a class. They were teaching about missions. And a man walked into that class called David Watson. And the man was talking about spontaneous church growth. What is happening in India and other parts of the world. When I sat at the back of the class, I said to myself, this man, He's either don't, whether he, maybe he don't know what he's talking about. Because nothing like this will ever happen. But after the class, I went to him, I spoke to him. And that was how this man brought me to this great man, Harry. And that's how we became brothers from a different mother. <laughs> and God connected our hearts together. And we believe God, that God will give us the lost tribes, the Muslim or rich people's group, and other groups, segments of population. We believe God for it. We started doing the training, coaching, and mentorship. And because of that, God started to accelerate the growth. And this growth had a cascading effect on so many nations, as I speak to you today. You know, when they talk about the figures, it doesn't necessarily mean it's only in Sierra Leone. You know, God used us in Nigeria. As I speak to you, we have Sierra Leonean missionaries in Nigeria. God used us in the northern part of Nigeria, in Jos, in other northern states. We send people to Ghana, in the north, in Accra, in Senegal, in Mauritania. You know, God started to raise people from this background, going north and seeing the effect of the kingdom. And also serving as a catalyst. To help other groups, other churches, other ministries practice what we have been doing. So today, we have this process all over. In Ethiopia, in the Horn of Africa, in East Africa, you know, in, in so many parts. Now we are pushing into North Africa. God has used over the years. God has used me to travel to Pakistan, to Bangladesh, to major Muslim countries. And help to disciple the believers there. And use this as a catalyst. God has used other leaders that are, God is using more than me in other areas today. My peers that God is using today. 
But it's so interesting that Sierra Leone, a country that was coming from war, that you say, will nothing good come out of Nazareth? One of the things I remember when I came to America, after spending some months, I went to some churches, and there were churches who wanted me to be on staff. They said, you know what? We want you to be on staff. You don't have to go back. I still remember one day a pastor took us to a house. They have already got a house. They had a car. If it was my first time of seeing a credit card. He said, this is a card he gave me. I said, what is this? He said, there's money on it. You can use it. We want you to come on staff. You are bringing something that we don't have. I said, let me pray and fast about this. Maybe it's not God's will for me to do this. So I prayed and fasted. By the way, part of my own lifestyle, what God has done over the years, is to spend time in prayer. We normally say abundant prayer. We pray abundantly. We spend time in prayer. After praying, I said, I'm going back home. I told my wife, I need to go back home. And so I went back home. I, so many Sierraleans were calling me, what are you going to do back to Sierraleon? You know, there's nothing left in that country. But I went back home. But I want you to know today, we have had people travel around the globe and go to Sierra Leone, go to some of these countries and learn what God is doing. Take it back home and multiply it. You know, it, is, it has to be God. It's only God that is doing it. And I have had testimonies after testimonies. I have pastors that were former Muslims, former sheikhs, today that are following Jesus. Their testimonies. I have had people that were witchcraft doctors who were in witchcraft. I have people who are former Kamajos, civil militias, former military guys that were fighting the war, former rebels. I have church planters that were former rebels who are fighting. Some of them will not even count how many people they have killed. But today, they are all followers of Jesus planting churches. It is all about him. We have women that, as I said, my mom got saved because I led my mom to the Lord. And my mom said, I did not go to school. The only thing I'm going to do is that from this day, I'll be praying for you. And I'll pray for the ministry. Today, my mom is a leading intercessor in Sierra Leone. She never went to school, but she can stand up. She can quote Bible, and she will explain the Bible. And she's raising other leaders. As I speak to you right now, there are people fasting and praying. Since I left Sierra Leone, they will not stop fasting and praying until I go back. For 365 days, my mom, we fast more than 200 days in a year. Just fasting, praying. And so we see the acceleration of what God is doing. As I tell you, this is God's story. I am simply telling God's stories. But through this process, God has connected us with, with brothers and sisters around the world. And you are part of it. You are this family that God is expanding. I was saying to Mark today, the stories you hear, it's not only about us. It is like Nehemiah building the wall. There are different people on every side of the wall building the wall. And trust me, you are those type of people on the other side of the wall building the wall. And the testimonies will not be completed without you. As you pray, as you partner with us, to advance the kingdom. The story I'm telling you is just the tip of the iceberg. When we get to heaven, we'll hear the greater story. But it is all about him. And God has been faithful. He has been faithful. He has taken me through challenges. He has taken us through, you know, difficulties. But yet still, 
He is God. He has done the impossible. What man cannot do, God has done it. And he has showed us the favor. It is his story and it is his glory. I am only doing, telling his story and doing what he has asked me to do. Thank you. All right. We have a little bit more time. So I'm going to just kind of share some things. And I'm going to have Shadonka kind of just speak into this. Uh, the story of what God's doing, of course, is all throughout Africa, but around the world, as we well know. And the Lord's doing a story in your life. You heard Shadonka's testimony as he shared it. You have the same thing going on in your life. And, you know, there are certain moments that are breakthrough moments, you know, watershed moments. I mean, there's times that God reveals himself to you in a way that is so significant and you learn something that is so life-changing. And I want to share a little bit about that moment that I experienced with Shadonka. And then I want to have Shadonka elaborate a little bit on that. I was uh, just kind of pouring out my life to Shadonka as we spent that week together just about kind of a bit of a moment of crisis in my own heart of what God was doing in his will for my life. And Shadonka said something to me that I probably have heard before, but in the moment it was just so powerful. And I want to pass this along to you because I even know this morning I've had some of you come up to me and tell me about some crises that are going on in your life, and you just don't know what to do. You don't know what the next step is. You're in like you feel like you're in a box, you're trapped, and whether it's your marriage, your family, your finances, your health. Um, and as a pastor, I hear this all the time. But, you know, oftentimes, I'm not sure why I don't challenge people in this way, but Shadonka challenged me. He just said, Pastor Mark, he said, Mark, I want to challenge you to pray and fast one day a week. And Tracy and I, have begun that and have been doing that ever since our trip in November. It has revolutionized our lives, our marriage, our family. We are seeing God's kingdom and his work in us and through us and to others. I, I can't explain other than, duh, it's God. But I know that it's, that was just an amazing moment. And I asked Shadonka to pray a prayer blessing over me that I could walk with the Lord in this kind of an intensity with God. And it's been just a beautiful, it's the most looked for day for Tracy and I all week, other than Sundays when I get to be with you, which is beautiful. But Shadonka, I want to share with you, I, I want you to talk a little bit about that. Um, in your own life, I know it's been so meaningful. Your mother, what would you share with people here? Why is this such, uh, you know, you pass that along to me. I know it's everything in your life. I know God has used you. You haven't even talked about it, but to birth this prayer movement all over Africa. But talk a little bit about prayer and its significance for our lives to encourage our folks. You know, one of the, the things I normally tell people is that the thing that really pushed me into prayer was because for me when I started ministry, I said, if Jesus is Lord, then he's going to be my example. I'm going to look at everything he did, said, walked, lived, and I want to live that. So I started reading, consuming the Bible. 
I read the Bible back and forth, looked at the life of Jesus, the words he said, when he said it, his relationship, how broken he was, how humble he was. I said, God, this is what I want to be. And one of the things that really touched me was the prayer life of Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 4, in Luke 4, that even before he started his ministry, he went out to pray and he fasted. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then when you read the gospel of Luke, you see how much this man prayed. Luke measured almost like 17 times. And he went out to pray. As it was his daily habit, he went out to pray. And I said, look, if in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then down that chapter, it said, but the word became flesh. Now, I'm saying to myself, this is, I mean, this was like the, my own interpretation. If he is the word, but he became flesh, and then the word prayed so much, what about me? Because all throughout his ministry, he prayed so much, even the first word that he said on the cross was prayer. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. His last word on the word, on the cross, was prayer. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I said, Lord, teach me how to pray. Like the disciples asked. And then I started to model that, to pray. And literally, there are times I would go up to mountains, quiet places. I would be there for days, just praying. There are times, you know, I will be in the room just praying. I will wake up early in the morning. Many times I will wake up at 3.30 or 4. I'm up praying and spending time in the Word. And I started to see how God, you know, did the impossible. How God caused things that were literally that I thought would never happen. I saw how it happened. And I started to coach all my disciples. To walk the same walk. And I normally encourage people that prayer is such a simple thing. It's so simple. There are people that I started coaching them. I said, okay, can you just take five minutes every day and pray simple prayer? Lord, be exalted. Hallowed be your name. Lord, let your kingdom come in my life. Let your kingdom come in the life of my family. Let your kingdom come in my community. Let your kingdom come in my nation, in my church. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. Not my own will, but your will. Let your will be done in the life of my children. Let your will be done, you know, in, in my job, in my work, in my business. Let your will be done. Let your will be done in this nation, in the community, God. Let your will be done as it is in heaven. Let it be here, God. On this act that I occupy. In this community where I am. And God, help me. That God, as you forgive me, that I will also forgive those that trespass against me. Those that wrong me. Help me, God, that I will not put layers of layers of malice, of pain in my heart. Give me the grace to release them. And you know, as I prayed that prayer and taught people today, I'm telling you there are people who have held guns to my head. They wanted to kill me. 
but they are my best friends today. Because I released them from my heart. From the very first day when they did it. I have people who poison me. They put poison in the food. To kill me. And God saved me. They are friends today. Because I released them from my heart. They are people who their intention was one of my leaders today. He was part of the Muslim League. Muslim Youth League. That's how they call him. This is the most aggressive Muslim groups. And this guy, his name is Sama Sandi. He hated me. He did not want to hear my voice. This guy hated me. He said, you know, we have a radio station. He said, we are going to burn down that radio station. We'll burn down your house. We'll burn down your family. Now, he said, I hate you. He wrote anonymous letters. The Muslim Youth League wrote anonymous letters to me. You know, miraculously, I started praying for him. I said, God, let your will be done in that life. Let that man be a testimony of who you are. Every time he will send words of hatred to me, I will send back words of love to him. And any time he will say, this is what we are going to do, that night I will pray for him. And you know what? God miraculously touched him. And he got saved. And you know what is interesting? He became, first he was my personal assistant. Today he's my program officer. He is planting churches. He's also doing training. He's aggressive for Jesus. And through him, so many other young people in the Muslim league said, if this man is following Jesus, then we have no alternative. They also came and followed Jesus. There are times the issue here is that when we pray, there are layers of layers of pain in our heart. We hold those things. We keep them in prison in our heart. We think about them. You know, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, I will not forgive you. Very simple. Let them go. God, help me. Give me the grace. Whether it's my family, my children, give them also the grace. So, God has used over the years to train people in the simple way. And my mom and other women, I'm telling you, what I did was, I like a hall. I mean, this hall is too big. Our prayer house is very small. But we, I literally just bought foam mattresses for them. Foam. And they lie down. All they do is to pray. We have chain prayers. You know, I was sharing the result. I normally send the report. For the past six months, just people that we go through the different chain prayers that we have in, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in Sierra Leone, in Senegal, in these countries. We had 27,000 people go through praying chain prayers. That means praying 24 hours around the clock. And then we have what we call whole night prayers. People will come to pray for the whole of the night. We had about 11,000 people show up to pray. Starting from 8, 10 in, at night to 6 in the morning. Then we have what we call half night prayers. And we have more than 11,000 people show up to pray half night. It's from 8 to 12 midnight. Just praying in the movement, all around the movement. And we have more than 4,000 registered testimonies, community transformations, family miracles, individual healings that happen in the lives of people. More than 4,000 testimonies 
of what God has done in communities, in families, through this prayer. And you know, that is, there's no way that I will stop praying. Literally, you know, my brother knows if we're traveling, we're either singing or we're praying. I sing, even when we are coming here this morning, we are just singing. While he's driving, he, he uses steering as a drum, beating the drum, the African drum. So I taught him how to beat the African drum. But for me, prayer is so important in the lives of followers of Jesus. The disciples looked at Jesus. They did not tell him, teach us how to make miracles. They did not ask him, you know, teach us how to make money. They said, Teach us how to pray. So, my encouragement is that we can start with five minutes, extend it to ten minutes, extend it to thirty minutes in a day. And I encourage believers, followers of Christ, set one day aside in a week that you will fast. In our movement, there are people fasting one day of the week all throughout the movement. Thousands of people Fasting. We have more than, on the records, we have more than 30,000 people. They fast. And there are people who fast three days in every month. We have what we call Daniel prayer. The first three days every month, there are people who fast. People wake up six in the morning and pray. Three days in the morning. And then every week, one day in a week. And by the time we end the year, at the beginning of every year, we all go to a place, a mountain, wherever, and we'll fast for three days without food and water. No food, no water. Three days. Thousands of people just fasting and asking God, committing the other year to God, committing partners to God, committing families to God, and asking God to bless. So, I have seen it work in my country during the war. I have seen it work in nations. I have had testimonies from leaders, political leaders, religious leaders about the move of God. I have people who are imams. They are not yet saved. Imams are like senior pastors in the mocks. I have seen them come to us for prayer. And I have seen God answer prayers for them. He is. So I will encourage us. Whether you are going to start fasting by just sipping water, do it. But it is in the life of Jesus, and if we are followers of Jesus, we can start small. You can start with a half day. If you can't go through the whole day, start with half day. God, you know, let me just start this with half day. Gradually, he will give you the strength to go. Because it's all about him. But I have seen I was sharing their testimonies. They have brought people, the, the hospital, some of the hospitals in our cities, when doctors know that there's no way. There was a doctor who never believed in God, nothing. And so his wife got sick. As a senior surgeon, he did everything. Sent the wife to Ghana. They did everything. And the results were all the same. There's nothing we can do. She has to wait, but her time is very short. So there is a, t I have a prayer time that I call praying over the city. I will use the radio, I will go over the radio, and I will pray over the city. And ask God to bless the leaders of the city, the political leaders, the Bible says pray for those in governance. So I pray for them. 
And so through this, this lady had me praying and said to the husband, and after that, we we'll said, okay, we have this prayer house here, the prayer house there, wherever you can go. And said, can you please take me to that prayer house? She has never also gone to church. The husband said, no way. What are you going to do there? These are just funny guys, crap guys. Don't go there. She said, look, I'm dying anyway. So you know what? <laughs> take me to that place. So reluctantly, the husband brought her and left her in the prayer house. I want you to know, after one week, a woman that was not able to even sit stood up one morning, asked for water, asked for food. When the husband came, he was shocked. After another two weeks, this woman said, I'm ready to go home. She went back home. They went back, did all the tests. They were surprised what they found out. As I speak to you today, she is now part of the intercessors praying. The husband came to know Jesus because of this. Because the husband is a medical man. He said, I knew your condition. My colleagues knew your condition. If there's a God that can do this, then I want to follow that God. So now in the hospital, when he has cases that are difficult, that he knows he cannot solve, he said, look, this one is beyond us. But I have a place I will send you to. So, and these are all ordinary people doing it. And I believe very strongly that when we start our day with prayer and end our day with prayer, whether it's five minutes, whether it's three minutes, whether it's four minutes, God moves in a new way. God moves in a new way. And I believe, that's why I said he's the impossibility specialist. He's the only one who went to the school of impossibility and graduated with degrees in impossibilities. What man cannot do, he can do it. All right. We're going to allow Shadonka to get a little break. We've been working them hard, let me tell you. I said, Jadonka, you're like a rock star here. Thank you, Shadonka. We love you. He's going to go hang out, uh, get a little something to drink, and he'll be in the mission center, and then uh, we go into the next service here in a little bit. I just wonder if the Lord brought you here because he just wanted to remind you of something so simple but so profound, where James says, James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. It's so simple. One of the things that just continues to hit me in my life is that as I grow as a Christian, my prayer life should be growing. And so for you, I mean, we all have our challenges. I just want to, this is your pastor loving on you. The challenge you're facing, are you facing it with prayer? And just grow in that area a little bit more. And maybe fasting a whole day is bigger than what Mark, I just, we'll start with five minutes, ten minutes. But allow that to be an area of growth. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's all powerful. And uh, I just need to even share with you, I mean, again, the most significant thing I have experienced uh, is this day. Uh, where's Tracy at at? Right over here. I mean, it's just precious for us. If you're married, it's so beautiful to be able to spend that together. 
And uh, yeah, you slow down, it weakens you, but you're just in tune with God, and it's just very special. Really cool. You know, we're uh, in the midst of a series, aren't we? And um, if you came here this morning expecting the Song of Solomon, you got uh, Shadonka. <laughs> Have you been encouraged? You bet. Hey, let me, let me pray for us right now, kind of bring this section to a, a point, and then uh, just kind of talk to you about next Sunday. Let's just talk to the Lord. Lord Jesus, our hearts have been moved. We thank you for uh, bringing to us a brother who we see Jesus in. We see his courage. We see his genuine story of you just transforming his life. It's a miracle. Here's a young man growing up in a Muslim family, a bit of a Christian background, but religious, and you just absolutely took him and have done something through him that is kind of hard for our minds to even get around. And Lord, through it all has been your grace, but your grace is here for us. And it just reminds me that you want to do great things in our own lives. And what we see through Shadonka and I have is a man so committed to prayer. I don't know if anyone's quite challenged and modeled for me prayer more than he has. And his mother, oh my, Lord, she's in that prayer house where they have groups of 20 to 30 that she leads every three hours, 20 to 30 people, 24 hours a day are praying. And it's been this way for years. It's amazing. Lord, move in us this spirit to just pray, to talk to you, to turn over to you, whatever it is, burdens we're carrying right now, and to continue to pray, to kind of like Shadonka said, the disciple said, Lord, teach us to pray. And maybe that could be your prayer right now. Teach me to pray, Lord, in a new level. And maybe you just talk to God about that right now. Well, Lord, I pray that we'd walk from here walking with you in a new spirit of prayer. And uh, maybe that's just why you brought us here. Lord, I thank you for each one. I thank you for those who are new to our ministry here today. Pray that you would bring us back as we continue to dive into your word, as we are learning about your best plan for our relationships. And thank you, Lord, that really undergirding it all is prayer. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said?